Over the last few weeks, we have begun a study on establishing not a foundation, but establishing the foundation. Now, this, these lessons go Wednesday night and Sunday morning. They should not be separated. If you want one tape, you should want the other one because they correlate. And if you have, it, if you have, have not been here while this is going on, tapes will be available. You see Brother Ed, I think they failed maybe on Sunday morning, but we'll see what we can do about that. But uh, tapes are normally $2, but if you don't have that, we want you to have the tapes. We want you to catch up. We want you to know what's going on because it is probably the most important thing that's going to happen in your life for a while. Have you ever noticed when you looked out over the, uh, the destruction, desecration of the buildings and the houses from Hurricane Andrew and noticed the havoc that that played there and you noticed what one time was seemingly well-built houses furnished in a spectacular manner great houses small houses how they just laid in just simply devastated one part here and one part there and furnishings destroyed and uh, people's lives were desolate and I thought well, that is sad that is sad but those things those things can be restored. But think about spiritual lives. Lives that are caught up in at least the last day storms. Now we do have storms, have had storms that would try our faith, but nothing like that is going to happen in the last days. And spiritual lives are going to be scattered. Furnishings, gifts, talents, whatever has been in your spiritual house, except it is built solid and on a solid foundation spiritual lives are going to be scattered just like those natural homes spiritual homes and except we understand what it takes to build a foundation and build a house except we understand that now you will also notice during the earthquake times the small tremors they try to build a little better house and then a greater earthquake comes and they try to build a little better house. And uh, waiting for the big one, as they say, waiting for the big one. Same way with hurricanes, they go through one and so they try to correct their mistakes so that the next time uh, those things happen, that the destruction will not be as much. That ought to be in our spiritual life. Amen. We ought to desire, learn from many mistakes, see our weaknesses when the storms of life come and see what takes us and lays us low and destroys our buildings, then we ought to seek God and want to learn how can we build a foundation and a house that's going to stand the big one. Amen. Because the big one is on its way. It's on its way. Storms of life. And the Bible tells us that we have to have our house built upon a rock, solid foundation. Tells us that the storms is going to come, the winds is going to blow. Life, in a sense, is going to be miserable. And uh, we're going to have to have some type of a, an experience that is going to undergo these things if we attempt or mean to get into the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes we live and we act as if we were already there. All right? And it's hard to tell people what it takes to make it 
if they think they already have. And so we'll have to change our outlook on who we are and what we are and understand that we're not there yet. And that we have endured, but we haven't endured as to blood yet. We haven't endured what it is going to take in order to enter in. And uh, Matthew warns us time and time again, 1 and 7, 14, straight or narrow is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. But few and few, that's not many, be there that, that be that find it. So it lets us know that not everybody that saith, Lord, Lord, is not going to make it in. Just a few are going to have foundation experience enough to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. Luke 13, 23, again says, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, verse 24, Strive to enter in at the street gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able. 1 Peter 3.20, which aforetime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein a few, not many, that is eight souls, was saved by water. You have to notice that it didn't take a whole lot for individuals to enter into their ark. All they had to do was believe what Noah preached. That's all they had to do. They didn't have a great mystery to follow it all. They just simply had to believe that it was going to rain. Now there wasn't any indication of that other than they had to believe that God had spoken to Noah and that they had the ability to enter in and be safe. But they refused that. They looked and could see no storm clouds, could see nothing. And so they decided that Noah was just a sick old man and had, had a lot of problems with beans and cabbage and visions. And so naturally, uh, uh, they just decided that what he said really didn't matter. Well, there's a lot of people, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So you see, individuals are still not going to hear. Though their lives in an uproar, foundations are crumbling every place. Christian lives, even yet today, are scattered over the area. And individuals falling by the wayside, all the way from the pulpit to the lay ministry. And still, somewhere, somehow, we just figure that God's mercy is going to carry us through. But there is a way. The Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. But God does have a way, and he hasn't hid that from us. Time and time again, he tells us what it takes to be able to establish our foundation and build our building. We want to begin by reading tonight from Romans, the third chapter from the ninth to the twentieth verse. We're still on repentance. Repentance. This is lesson four on repentance. Now we have a long way to go. And that's why we're doing this on Sunday morning and doing it on Wednesday night as much as we can. It's going to take a long time. And again, that's why I ask you to take notes or get the tapes or something so you can get this all together when it's over. And it'll make a lot more sense to you if you can hear again or go back and read your notes. But this is establishing a foundation and this is repentance. Uh, the ninth verse of uh, Romans, the third chapter, this is a final verdict. The whole world is guilty before God. Listen to what Paul writes. What then? Are we better than they? 
No one no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, with their tongue they have used deceit. The poison of ass is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed the blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now in order to understand the meaning of repentance, we have to know that from which we are to repent. <laughs> okay? I mean, if we're going to understand what repentance is. Now, we, what do you do? You're just sorry for your sins and all that. But there's far more to it than that. Turn again to our scripture lesson where we first started in Hebrews, the sixth chapter and the first and second verse and first of all it's repentance from dead works yeah. therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ let us go on into perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of the doctrine of baptism the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead of and of eternal judgment so we're going to begin tonight on repentance from dead works. Now this is the first of the first principles listed in Hebrews. And to go wrong here is going to endanger our whole foundation. In other words, we have to get this straight. And we have to get it to acknowledged in our heart and in our life. And realize repentance from dead works. Now what is dead works? What does the scripture refer to? They're simply deeds and actions of a life that's lived apart from God or from the living God. That's dead works. That comes from Christians as well as sinners. After we come to God, a lot of times our deeds and actions are of a life that's lived apart from God, not sensitive to the leadership of God, such as religious works, works that's apart from God. Know all the rituals. We know all the traditions. We know all the noises to make and all the actions and all, all like that. And yet we're void of God's leadership. Again, religious works is trying to work out our salvation, trying to work it out without the cross of Calvary in our life. And then gross deeds, that's uh, a lacking knowledge. A lacking knowledge, spiritual, being spiritually unrefined in God. God wants us refined in Him. And he wants us knowledgeable in him. And then hypocritical actions. There's two, uh, I would say, two definitions for this. All of them, both of them are good. But hypocritical, being hypocritical is claiming to be someone that you are not. But I also like probably the best one, and that's expecting of others that which you will and cannot do yourself. That's being hypocritical and hypocritical actions. Always expounding, expecting of others the things that you are not willing to do yourself. And then 
These are dead works, attitudes of self-righteousness. As if we had enough righteousness in our own self-righteous rags to get us into the kingdom of God. So there's a conclusion of that. All acts of man in himself, separated from God, are dead works. Whatever we do, it doesn't make any difference how spiritual we claim to be. It doesn't make any difference how many religious noises we make and rituals and what have you. If our acts and the things that we do and our deeds are separated from God and His will, they are dead works. They will account for nothing. And the Bible calls for repentance from those. If we do not repent, those things are still on the slate. Things that God will charge us with when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That certainly needs to be wiped clean and repentance will do that. But you first got to acknowledge that these things, or at least some of them, perhaps are in our lives. Perhaps we have not been led by the Lord. We've been led by our own vows and our own ideas and opinions. And we lack knowledge because we've not studied to show ourselves approved a workman uh, that need, needeth not to be ashamed. Sometimes we're just simply spiritually unrefined. We haven't let the power of God refine us at all. And then we become hypocritical, expecting out of lives that which we have not been able to attain ourselves. Then we have an attitude of self-righteousness. These, these acts that we just talked about are referred to in different ways in the Bible. Now we're going to find out some different things about sin. You know, what do you repent of? Well, we repent of sin. But let's define that a little farther. Uh, sin probably is the most uh, often used word, but there are other words describe different aspects of man's sinful condition. Now here is sin's principle. The essential, uh, the essential principle of sin is selfishness. Selfishness. Almost all sins from a Christian or from a sinner stems from selfishness in some manner. Uh, so we have to look at uh, it's it's love of self, loving self as opposed to the love of God. You see, and we have to face that sometimes. Do we not love our own life, live our own life the way we want to, and uh, pay no heed to the uh, pleading spirit of God that asks a love out of us to Him that thus far a lot of us have not been able to give. You see, this love of self may express itself in many ways, but each of these ways is our own way, not his way. And this needs to be repented over. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity or the lawlessness of us all. In other words, there someone has paid the penalty for that. All he asks us to do is bring ourselves to the knowledge that we are walking our own way. And it is hard, especially for Christians and older Christians, to ever admit but what they have not walked away of God almost in all their lives. Each one of us have to face that. I've had to face it time and time again that there are areas and times in my life where I actually walked after the dictates of my own life, the way I wanted to. And if I am not facing up to that, then I don't repent of that, then that's a sin yet unrepented of, which means it's unforgiven. And the Bible says no sin 
will enter into the kingdom of God. So first off, we have to understand sin's principles, what it'll do for in our life, and most all of it comes from the selfishness of humanity. It's an implanted. You don't acquire that. You're born with that, all right? It's there in every life. Some people are more selfish than others, but there is a spark of selfishness in every human being. But Christ has made a way, the iniquity of us all, lawlessness of, of it all. Our own way was laid upon Christ. And all he asked us to do is acknowledge that, turn from that, and turn to him. Second Corinthians 5.15 reads this, He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Now then, why did he die? Let's catch hold of that. That's the scripture. Why did he die? He died for us all. He died for every one of us that's here, others that are not here all over the world. Why did he die? That they which, should, that, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. So that's why he died, that we might shed off the selfishness living unto ourselves. Have you ever noticed the power of the enemy? How he creeps in and he'll say, you deserve that. You need that. And the first thing you know, you've taken God's time and God's money and God's efforts and all that and heaped it on yourself. And he didn't die for that. He died that you might turn to him and give him your life and let your life be lived for him. Now then, for a little while tonight, let's look at some words and their meanings that's used in the Bible to describe the conditions from which we must repent. You see, if we don't know, then we can't do. But if we're made knowledgeable of that, well, then we can. But so there's some words, different words. Number one is sin. That comes from the Greek word hamartai, which simply means to miss a mark or to be in error. Matthew 1.21 says, And she shall bring forth the Son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins or from missing the mark or to save them from being in error. That's why Jesus came. That's why he called the writers. That's why you have preservation of the Bible. All the writings, especially in the New Testament, especially uh, after you get through the Gospels, tell us how to keep from missing the mark. How to keep from being in error. All we've got to do is be knowledgeable of them and realize that God is not his Santa Claus who's going to overlook everything in our life, especially if we don't repent of that. We've got to realize, and we church has used this so much, oh, he is a merciful God. Well, two-thirds of the Bible was written for no reason then. If we just throw ourselves on the mercy of God and, and we don't learn how to uh, build our life and build our foundation, then Paul wasted his time. He wrote for no value whatsoever. But that is, is missing the mark. Now, uh, it's not original, originally an ethical word at all or standard of conduct at all. In fact, it was, in fact, a word from shooting, which simply means missing the target. Missing the target. Sin is the failure to hit the target. You see, we need to hit the target. Yes, yes. We need to know what to aim at. An aiming course is the kingdom of God, but we need to hit the target. I'm telling somebody, 
uh, up around Chicago, if I'm not right, if I'm not wrong on that, where they started at one end of the one end of our United States and the other one, and they were supposed to meet up there someplace with the roads and bringing the roads, and they missed it just about a half a block. <laughs> they missed the target, so you have a road coming this way, one coming this way, and you have about a half a block of space, and then they had to make a curve in there to meet that. They missed the mark. All the engineering uh, they had at their disposal, they missed the mark. So sin is a failure to hit the target. Sin is failing to be what we should be. What does God want out of your life tonight? What designs does God have for your life tonight? And if we realize that and what He wants, actually sin is falling short of God's glorious desire for us. What God wants out of us. Why we become a child of God in the first place. Why he placed us in the body of Christ in the first place. Missing the mark. Uh, uh, doing or going wrong in our lives. You see, we have ways, roadmaps, writings of good, uh, good Christian individuals that show us a way that is right. A way that we should live. And it's clear and it's concise. The problem is applying it to our own lives. You see, Romans says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in this, actually, it primarily signifies an opinion or an estimate. And it's used in the nature of acts of God in his self-manifestation. So uh, we've sinned and come short of what God wants out of our lives. Of the glory that would be ours should we clear the hurdles that is placed in our pathway and uh, live the life that God wants us to live and hit the target? Hit the target. It's of no value just to shoot, is it? It's of no value just to be a Christian if you don't know where you're going, if you don't know which direction you're going. You don't just take a gun and target practice and just shoot here and shoot there and shoot up there. You've got a target in front of you and you aim at that target. And you pretty well know which direction you have to go. And then if you're just learning, the instructors will give you some instructions on how better to hit the bullseye on that target. Well, you've got the same thing in the Word of God. If we're ignorant and unlearned, the Scriptures are open to us tells us how to hit the target of God in our life without falling short of God's desire for us. I think sometimes maybe a lot of us never even ask God, what is your desire for me in this world? God, what actually am I supposed to be? What did you call me for? In other words, just which direction do you want me to go? And if you ever find out in yourself what God wants out of you, then you head toward that. Yes. You shoot toward that. And follow the instructions and be sure that when you miss that mark, there is repentance from your failures in your life. Uh, and don't just get up and stumble around in the same way. Get up and do your dead level best to conquer these things in your life. Now another word is evil. That comes from the word katos. That's simply bad or bad quality or bad disposition. 
bad disposition, you know, we feel like, now stay with me now, we feel like that we've got a right to our disposition. But we don't. We don't have any right to them at all. We feel like we have a right to our nature, but we don't have any right to our nature anymore. Not if we want to find the best thing that God has for us. Worthless, corrupt, depraved, wicked, criminal, morally bad. Mark 7, 21, far from within, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. And these things have to be taken captive so that they don't become any more than thoughts. You can't help but think. <laughs> that is just a part of it. But you don't have to allow the enemy to cause them to bring, cause that to be in a reality. And then another word used for sin is wickedness, porni, evil disposition of mind. <laughs> there, there again is disposition. How do we live? How do we portray Christ in us, the hope of glory? How does other people see you? Remember I wrote in the bulletin, coming face to face with a monster. Have you ever tried looking in the mirror and seeing what was there when you actually looked yourself through the eyes of God? Evil disposition of mind, mischief, malignity, that's ill will, spite, or holding a grudge. These are sins. These are sins that need to be under the blood. These are sins that need to be for ask forgiveness for needs to be and will be forgiven, but sins that need to be laid aside, not allowed in our life any longer. These are sins that should not be ill will against somebody, laid in the lap of God. Don't do anything spiteful, and above all, do not hold a grudge. Get that out of your system. Get that out of your life. Ask God to forgive you for ever holding that and then let him, allow him to take that out of your life because you're wanting to hit the target. You're wanting to get there. And the Bible tells us that that's part of weakness, wickedness in our life. Matthew 13, 49, So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. It's hard for us to imagine after being in church all these years that we might stand with the throngs of the wicked. But yet if we hold these things in our life, hold these things in our heart, unrepented of, unresolved in our life, it indicates there again that we will not hit the target. We will not enter into the kingdom of God. You see, it is all so simple and yet it is all so confusing sometimes and yet it is all so deep. And so many things that the average Christian has not taken considered of, haven't considered them whatsoever, have just continued to live their life. It indicates a willful, mental disregard for justice, for righteousness, for truth, for honor, and for virtue. Completely disregards the justice, Completely disregards the righteousness of God. Completely disregards truth. Men hold error in their life rather than truth. And honor and virtue of God. It speaks of being evil in thought, in life, depravity, which is corruption, 
sinfulness and it is criminal. Matthew 22, 15, 18, and you'll notice on this occasion, the Pharisees took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk and then proceeded to present to him a loaded question. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? And let's look at that again. What does it consist of? Ill will evil disposition disposition of mind wanting to do mischief to somebody spiting somebody holding a grudge for somebody and Jesus called them hypocrites that did that okay are you with me so far okay that's in our life that's things that has to be out of our life if we intend to hit the target another word that's used for sin is transgression it's Parabasis, stepping by the side, deviation, violation of the law. In other words, stepping aside of the law. Galatians 3.19, wherefore then serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions. And that word actually literally means a stepping across. Now what you have here is a picture of a man stepping across the line uh, which he has no right to step. Okay, that's transgression. That's trespassing. And doing, going places, doing things that we have no right to do. A man invading forbidden territory, crossing the bounds of that which is right. All he got to do is go back to Adam and Eve. God gave them everything there was in the garden and told them that this was theirs. Everything there was theirs. All the beauty of the garden, all of trees of the garden, and all of that. But God says there's one in the middle that I'm reserving for myself. That's mine. If you step on that, you're trespassing. You are transgressing. Uh, you have no right to be there. But consider Adam and consider Eve in the garden. And that was a sin, deliberate sin. Deliberate sin. Now, there are a lot of sins that are not deliberate. A lot of things we do uh, that we don't do deliberately, but this is a deliberate sin, crossing the fence between right and wrong. We know that it's wrong, but we do it anyway. And then again, just say, God, He's a good God. He's a merciful God. He knows my heart. <laughs> well, you don't know the prophecy that you're saying when He says, He knows my heart. So transgression is a deliberate sin. You're stepping into property, invading forbidden territory, crossing the bounds uh, that is not right. And that's crossing the line. Stepping aside. Stepping by the wayside. Doing that which is wrong when you know that it is wrong. When the scripture deliberately forbids us to do that and we know that, most of us here have sat under the Word of God, studied the Word of God, and know of a surety a lot of things in our life ought not to be there, but we deliberately keep them there, walk that direction anyway, and it's a transgression. There needs to be some repentance from those things. That's dead works. And we need to lay them at the foot of the cross and say, God, awaken me to where I'm at in you because I'm headed into the kingdom of God and I want to get there. I want to get there on target. I want to hit the target. I don't want to deviate from one side or the other. And another word used for sin is unrighteousness. 
adikai, injustice, wrong, iniquity, falsehood, deceitfulness. All unrighteousness is sin. Now, unrighteousness is, I suppose, better understood as the failure to give God and to man what is their just due. Consider what we give to God. Consider, do we give to God what is justly due Him tonight? Now, you have to decide that on your own. I cannot... I have to face my own self in the mirror. But unrighteousness is just simply not giving God what is due Him. As much as we can. You see, we can never repay Him for what He done for us. We don't have that ability. But we do have abilities to give God what is due Him. Our time, our money, our praise, our worship, our obedience. All of that. We owe that to God. It should never be a time that we enter into the house of God while what we don't give Him our praise and give Him our worship. He is due everything we can give Him, regardless in what area that we do it. Do Him. And that is unrighteousness if we do not give that to Him. But yet, how many have actually come into the house of God, or this before that. We haven't given God any time, all we Now, He deserves something. He deserves some, he, he deserves some of our time. And it's unrighteous of us if we don't give that to Him. He deserves for us to pick up His Word once in a while. He deserves for us to pray once in a while. He deserves for us to utilize our time to witnessing. And if we don't do these things, we are unrighteous. And yet, how many do not do that and never repent of that? Stands written, stands against us. And yet we brazenly stand and say, I'm headed for heaven, I'm going into the kingdom of God, and yet laden down with a sin, especially of unrighteousness, also transgressions, and many other things that I've named to that's still holding on and clutching onto our lives, and we're still uh, so uh, set in our own ways that we are just determined that we're going to do it our way. Well, there's no other way other than God's way. So consider our time that we give Him. Consider the money we give Him. Consider the praise. How many times have we come into the house of God and set mute? Our thoughts every place but where they ought to be. Carrying our own problems and troubles and our own attitudes into the house of God and sit there and leave. Same way with our worship. Never any spontaneous worship in our lives. Some of us never open our mouth to sing, say amen, praise the Lord in any way. And that is a sin of, that's unrighteous of us. God deserves more than we're giving Him. Amen. Due consideration to Almighty God in our worship, in our obedience. Also to man, sometimes we owe man, we owe man honor and we owe him respect. We owe, we owe him a day's work for a day's pay and we ought to realize that. We ought to give as Christians man the best we can give him. He hires us for a job. We ought to do the job as best we could. We ought to honor him for who he is and for what he is. We ought to respect him and we ought to feel like that he is our fellow man. You see, the unrighteous man again fails to give God his love, 
fails to give him obedience, fails to give him praise, uh, fails to give him his uh, praise, uh, his time, and all of that. And there again, that is a sin of unrighteousness, failing to be obedient to God. Failing to be obedient to God. Unrighteous. Needs repenting of. Needs recognition first. We simply got to look at ourselves and say, have I been unrighteous? Have I given God actually what's due Him as best I can, what's due Him? Let's take in consideration, some got more time than others. God requires then more time of that individual. But there's not an individual what couldn't have time for God if we just wouldn't take too much for ourselves. There again, that's selfishness. That's the essentials. That's the beginning of it all. That's where it first started. His selfishness entered into the world like that. And almost all of these I'm talking about comes because of selfishness in our lives. Living life to suit ourselves the way we want to do it doesn't make any difference what God's Word says against it. There again, that is deliberate violation of the commands of God. Then there's ungodliness. Come from the Greek word to see by. Uh, that uh, simply uh, means uh, dishonesty and wickedness. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. You see, sin is godless. It's a total disregard for God. It's treating God as if he does not exist. It's not atheism now. Because atheism doesn't believe that there is a God. Godlessness knows that there is a God and totally at times disregards him as God. That's ungodliness. You know, we always want to put all these things... All, all these things that Romans mentions and others mentions, we want to stack them all up in a neat little pile and say that's for the sinner. Well, if we're doing those, then we are sinners. And we need repentance in our lives. Getting down before God and asking Him to open our eyes to what's in our life and truthfully repent of those things lest we face God with those things in our life. And there can be no inference into the kingdom of God with those things in our life. In other words, what I'm saying, when the storm comes, your spiritual house is going to be devastated. It's going to lay with all your traditions and all your talents and all your gifts lay scattered, just like the devastation of the storm and the earthquake. Laying there what was one time could have and was beautiful, a life. Completely destroyed, laying bare. Nothing left whatsoever. Because we simply did not know or we did not care how to build a house, how to establish the foundation, and how to build a house that would wither every storm of life. Stand tall, stand true, allow nothing to get inside of us that would keep us from missing or from hitting the target. So that means... We totally disregard God. Now, I realize that many of us say, well, I, I don't dis disregard Him. But let's look real careful in our lives at times when God speaks to us through His Word or just simply speaks to us and we just disregard Him. We just simply turn Him off. And what we actually say is, God, I, 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 I'm going to do it. 
But when God speaks to us, then's the time, and he'll make the way for us. But that's simply disregarding God. That's, that simply is ungodly. However you want to pretty it up, whoever you want to put it on, all the sinners in this world, let them have it, but let's take a little of our own. Times when we simply disregard what God has in our life, what God wants to give us, we disregard it. Then there's iniquity, anomie, without law, not subject to law, writing, violating law, lawlessness. Now I want you to think closely about that. Matthew 7, 23 says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now the word that I just read means law. And the sinner is the man who disobeys God's law. This word stresses the deliberation of sin. It describes the man who well knows the right and who yet does the wrong. God help us as Christians today to realize that we have some work to do in our lives. That we have some things that we have to recognize and turn over to God. Violating the law of God. I'm not going to nitpick or pinpoint, but there are, are laws in which we simply pay no attention to. We're going to do it our way, and our way is the best, and God's going to be merciful, and I'm doing all right. I'm doing just fine, and yet deliberately doing that which is wrong when we know that is wrong. Okay. <laughs> and then disobedience. Paraco. An erroneous or imper imperfect hearing. A deviation from obedience. Romans 5.19 By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. One man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Now, I'm going to go real slow on this because it's important. The verb form of this word originally meant to mishear or to fail to hear of the man who did not catch something that someone else said because it was indistinctly spoken or because he himself was deaf. Then it came to mean deliberately not hearing as it were to close the ears to. Sin means closing the ears to God in order to listen to oneself. That is disobedience and it is a sin. Deliberately not to hear. Now I've preached a lot of years. And I've filled a lot of pulpits. And I've looked into a lot of eyes. And I've watched individuals uh, deliberately close their ears to truth. Because it was hard. And they were guilty. And deliberately refused. To listen or to hear. And more than anything else, deliberately refuse to do. Closing the ears to God in order to listen to oneself. What does that mean? How many of us have what it takes to lay aside our professional 
traditions and the way we was raised, the things that we always thought was right, preached by people we had respect in, and then when we looked at it, it was proven by the Word of God that they were erroneous. How many of us have what it takes then to do the turnaround and say, God, it's always been wrong and I can't hold to that. The Scriptures will not allow me to do that. But yet when it comes to going against traditions, what we have been taught, the way we have been raised, in a sense, we close our ears to those things because we don't want to hear it. That means mom was wrong, dad was wrong, uncle was wrong, the preacher we had respect for was wrong, and we don't want to hear that. So we just shut it off. I'm not listening to that stuff. One good brother said, I don't care what the Bible says. I've always believed it this way. <laughs> and he said what a lot of people think. Or their action. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the Bible says. If grandma or grandpa made it in, I will too. Well, they may make it in because they didn't know and didn't hear. But you, by the way, have heard. You do know. And you dare not turn it off. You must not. There needs to be some respect for God and listen to what God has to say. That's disobedience. And that's a sin. Amen. To disobey God is a sin. You can't flower it up. You can't dress it up. It's just simply what it says. It's a sin. And you can't just dance your way into heaven by doing what you want to do the way you want to do it. You just simply cannot do that. And you're coming close, real close, to the end of time. I feel that in my spirit. I think I'm not the only one. And uh, we're fixing to enter in to probably one of the greatest storms of life that ever come upon Christians. And it's going to try our mettle. It's going to blow on our house. What is it that old adage? I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And it's got to be made right or he'll do just that. He'll destroy your house. He'll destroy your belongings, everything that you ever thought was worthwhile in your life. Another word is trespass. Paraptoma. That's as close as I can get to it. A falling aside. Deviation from the right path. Ephesians 2.1 And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. This word describes the slip which a man may make when he is off guard. You see, it really doesn't pay to get off guard. That's why daily prayers, daily consideration to God, and if you don't have time to pray alone in your life and in your heart at all times, pray without ceasing. Our minds should never be corrupted enough by the world that we can't have some time to breathe a prayer to God to help us out in the times. And that simply means uh, a slip that a man makes when he's off guard, when he's not looking where he's going, when he takes his eyes off the gold. It's a failure in consecration, a failure in self-control through which a man is swept or slips into sin. That's trespass in our lives. How many of us have taken our eyes off the gold? How many of us have looked at the beauties of this world of bright shining stars and everything that the world offers? And then if we don't look at that, we look at the problems of our life. 
the disappointments of our life, the failures of our life, and we don't realize that we are on a journey. There's a goal out there someplace, and keep your eyes on the goal. Run this race with patience. Realize that there is an end to this. Realize that we must finish the race. It's not who starts it, and it's not who runs it the swiftest. It's who crosses the finish line. And I'm giving you some good things to allow you to cross the finish line regardless of how you cross it, swiftly or slowly. The failure of self-control. That's why the Bible continues to tell us that we need self-control in our life and a man is swept and slips into sin. You would be surprised at people in high places, ministers, ministers world, worldwide, that have simply took their eyes off of who they was and what they was and have fallen. Never thought they could, but they did. Lay members, individuals one time that used to shout the glory of God out there someplace simply devastated by the storm, just took them, blowed their life plumb apart. Didn't have what it took. Wasn't built right. Didn't realize the things that was coming on their life and didn't realize that repentance from dead works was a necessity in their life. Always and completely. The Bible talks about repenting. It doesn't just talk to the sinner as we know sinners. It talks to the Christian. Must completely and always be doing that. So what is the origin of sin? Well, historically, by one man, sin entered into the world. But Isaiah simply tells us that sin entered into the world or sin became when Lucifer star of the morning simply says I will in other words that's selfishness there again I'm not satisfied with the place I'm in I'm not satisfied with what I am I'm going to ascend I'm going to be like God I'm going to be greater than he is I'll do this thing my way of course sin then became born it never was any sin until that time and it was born in that individual and then, of course, he tempted Adam and Eve, and they fell and sin entered into the world. But individually, James 1, 14, 15 tells us, Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth death. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. How many good people have you saw drawn away by their own lust? and enticed by this one and that one like dangling a carrot before a rabbit or what have you just just keep following after it lose sight of a christian experience and lose sight of a christian life and then when lust is conceived it bringeth forth sin now then how many are sinners romans 3:23 all have sinned romans 3 9 both jew and gentile they are all under sin. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.12, they are all gone out of the way, and there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Romans 3.19, all the world guilty before God. Romans 5.12, all have sinned. Galatians 3.22, the scripture has concluded all under sin. There is repentance. Now what sins, and I'm closing with this, do the scriptures specifically list?
seven which come from the natural heart and defile man. You find that in Matthew 15, 18, and 20. Thirteen which come from the natural heart and defile man. You find that in Mark 7, 21, 23. Twenty-three which bring the judgment of God. These are sins. Romans 1, 29, 32. Seven which Christians must not do. You know you'd have a time in your life if you'd write these down and look them up. Sin might become more of a reality to you than ever before. If you would do that. And I pray that you will. 23, which brings the judgment of God. Romans 1, 29, 32. 7, which Christians must not do. Romans 13, 13, and 14. 6, with which Christians must not associate. Not do, but not associate. 1 Corinthians 5, 9, 11. 10, which bar from the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Eleven from which Christians must turn away. Second Corinthians twelve, twenty and twenty-one. Seventeen which bar from the kingdom of God. Galatians five, nineteen, twenty-one. Nine in which the unsaved live and in which Christians must not live. Ephesians four, seventeen, nineteen. Six, which must not be named among must not be named as existing among Christians. Ephesians five three four. Nine, which Christians must put away. <laughs> you see, that almost does away with the fact that Christians don't have any sin. All right, because it names there those which Christians must put away. Seventeen which bar from the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 19, 21. Nine in which the unsaved... Am I reading that over again? Okay. Nine in which the unsaved live and in which Christians must not live. Okay, here we are. Six which must not be named as existing among Christians. Ephesians 5, 3, and 4. Nine which Christians must put away. Ephesians 4, 25, 28, 29, 31. Four which bar from the kingdom of God and of Christ of which bring the wrath of God. Ephesians 5, 6. Six which Christians must mortify and which bring the wrath of God. Colossians 3, 5, 6. Six, which Christians must put off. Colossians 3, 8, 9. Fourteen, for which the law was given. First Timothy 1, 9 and 10. Nineteen, from which Christians must turn away. Second Timothy 3, 1, 5. Nine, from which Christians are saved. Titus 3, 3, 5. Five, which Christians must lay aside. First Peter 2, 1. Seven sins of the flesh in which Christians once lived. First Peter 4, 2, 4. Eight, which condemned to the lake of fire. Revelations 21 and 8. 
6, which bar from the tree of life and the holy city. Revelation 22:14. Now this list of 21 constitute a total of 202 sins. Now some are found in more than one list, but there are 103 sins mentioned in this list. 103 sins that a man can commit that is listed in this list. Like I said, all together we listed 202, but some of them are repetitious. And these are sins, there again, that's connected with Christian lives. That simply needs some work. How many of you agree tonight that you need to work on your life? I mean, there are things there that's going to keep us out of the kingdom of God. Except we be an overcomer and except we do the things that God asks us to do and except all of these sins are not part of us. We have to put them aside. But first we have to recognize them, then we have to accept them as being sins in our life. Now we can be hypocritical and deny the fact that they're there, never confess them, and then you're going to meet God with sins unconfessed. And God is going to say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I know you know. It's just that simple. We thought we had it made. We thought we could go on, hippity-hop, do the things the old flesh wanted to do, have a good time. Mercy of God was going to be so great that he's just going to transport his sins and all into the kingdom of God. But it won't work. Because if these things are in our life, our foundation will explode, our building will be torn apart, everything that's inside of it will be exposed to the world. We will stand before God naked. Because the only clothing we'll have when we stand before God is the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And it cannot be applied unless we repent of these things that's in our life and seek, seek to rectify them. Shall we stand?